Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live at one. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This episode is called Incompetence or Malice. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets, fresh back from the lakes. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going pretty good if you consider the fact that I just completed 800 kilometers of driving in a car with no exhaust system and no air conditioning, accompanied by my family that started at rush hour on a Thursday. That is rough. It is very, very hot here in the UK. And unlike you global, well-traveled Americans, us British people are not used to it at all. I can't remember a summer like this ever. And it is related to F1 because I think this kind of heat at a British Grand Prix was unusual. And I believe it played a part today. But Matt, it was a four-way battle at the end of the race. The two title contenders, second and third, my heart was absolutely pumping. What a race. Oh, it was brilliant. And we really, we need to take a moment and thank Marcus Erickson for that race. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our wives. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm also joined by Nick Numbers Alexander making his Missed Apex debut. How's it going, Nick? Very well. What's been going on since the last time I made my debut? Well, you shaved your beard off and you now look like Beaker from Sesame Street when he took his glasses off. No one likes it. Grow it back. I'm also joined by two grown-ups that still take karting seriously. It's Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Jeansy? Evening, Spanners. Everything going very, very well. And I apologise in advance that you might hear my wife shouting at my daughter because she won't go to sleep. Silly but, babies. Um, anyway, we're going to have fun tonight because it was an exciting race. Not the result we wanted, but... It was a result nonetheless. Well, it is the result that Nick wanted. We do have a Ferrari person on the podcast tonight, which is Nick Numbers Alexander. We do get accused of being a ham podcast. We'll take all that on the chin. Um, And the other carter 
on the show tonight. No nickname required at all for Kyle Power. How's it going, Kyle? Very well, thank you. Very pleased to be here and make my debut. So, um, yeah. And hello to the live stream. If you want to join the live chat, just go to YouTube, search Missed Apex Podcast, click subscribe and the little bell. You'll get a notification every time we go live. Uh, it's really good on there. You just get the video and then the live chat is just below that. So you can do it all from your phone. Uh, let's talk about this circuit. Once again, it's produced great racing. Nick, I know you particularly enjoyed the racing down at Brooklands and, and, uh, and Luffield. Yeah. So uh, I actually attended this race last year, and as a Sebastian, as a Sebastian Vettel fan, it did not really go my way. I think this year would have really been the place to be, and I think Brooklyn's and Luffield would have really been the place to be. And actually, that's where Anil was sat today. But you would have seen Stroll crash, you would have seen Hartley crash, you would have seen Kimi and Max trading positions and you would have seen Bottas defending for his life from Sebastian and you would have seen the move of the race all right there in general admission. Uh, Jeansy, what is it about this British Grand Prix that always seems to give us a good on-track racing action-packed event? It's got a really good mix of fast corners, heavy braking zones and long straights which is the key sequence that you need for decent racing. Um, the drivers love it. The fans make it. I, I don't know a track where you hear a driver go past or a pass happen and you actually hear the crowd erupt. It's almost like being at a football game. It's just a stunning place to drive at. Let's move straight on to the race. All right, Matt. Well, Quali was uh, pretty straightforward, wasn't it, Trumpets? I mean... Lewis Hamilton, he was down on Sebastian Vettel after the first run, pulls off an absolutely blinding second run, puts himself on pole. Much what we expected at this track. We expected Lewis Hamilton and the Mercedes to be up front with Ferrari just behind. Uh, yeah, we did. I, I will caveat that with saying that I'm not sure because we didn't see Sebastian's uh, last uh, run in free practice three, uh, a fast one. I'm actually not sure if Mercedes had the faster one lap car at the circuit because Kimmy was much, much closer than we're used to seeing him. Uh, so I'll put it out there that I think Hamilton's last run was pretty exceptional. Yeah. So uh, straight on to the race then. Uh, Alex, Lewis Hamilton, a poor start again. What is going on, Jeansy? I don't know these days whether it's a caveat of Lewis or a caveat of that Mercedes car, but since he's been at Mercedes, the starts just haven't been very good apart from one or two electric starts that he's had over the years. The one that comes to to mind is Abu Dhabi in 2015. Anyway, um, but no, it, the problem is, is a few years ago when they had those kind of issues where they didn't get off the line, they lose a position off the line. They just dealt with it with the raw pace advantage that they had. They don't have that now. And if Lewis and Seb are always going to be one and two and two on the grid, which is very, very likely, if Lewis qualifies ahead, Seb's going to be confident that he can be ahead by the first corner. It's um. It's if you if you're a Merck fan or a, or a Lewis fan, it's going to be a problem. Was it was it 2015, Matt, where both the Williams let let frogs both the Mercedes? It's a classic example of this, isn't it? From two years ago at this track, yeah, both Williams got ahead. Yes, it was exactly that. That was that was really interesting. And then Williams screwed it up with strategy, which seems like um, Merck have taken over that mantle these days. Uh, but then again, okay, so Trumpets, you know, Bottas gets the jump as well, and of, of course. Lewis Hamilton's race was defined by getting hit by Kimi Raikkonen, which we'll cover in Whose Fault Is This later. Uh, but Kimi won't have been crying over the result of that, would he? 
No, no, I was, I, I thought, uh, because I, I listened to the race when it happened. I was, it was in the middle of driving back. I, I actually thought, oh, he's just gone and guaranteed, guaranteed himself another year at Ferrari with that particular maneuver. That it was my initial thought as, as, as a comment to make. But uh, upon seeing it, I, I got to say, yeah, more incompetence and malice. But did you notice that Lewis had the exact same start this week that Botas had last week? No, remind me. Wheel spin, right? Very bad start for him. Or am I imagining this because I've been out of town and not thinking about these things? Yeah, well, this is, uh, you know, uh, Kyle could weigh in there. The, you know, this is what Jeansy was saying. You know, perhaps it is a Mercedes trait. Uh, yeah, also, I think with Lewis's start of this one particularly, it just looked like a bit of a bad reaction to the likes initially, and then he bogged down. So Bottas' start before was just, I think he just dropped the Dutch a bit hard, come off the throttle, and then bogged. Well, this one looked a bit more like it was Lewis's fault rather than the nature of the car thing. Yeah, so Trumpet, so that takes us into kind of the race proper, because at this point, you're thinking, right, well, Hamilton's kind of out of it for now, so let's park it. The real race is now up front. It was split into two halves. We had uh, Sebastian Vettel being chased by Bottas, but it really looked like Vettel had the measure of him completely. And then you had Kimi Raikkonen occupying themselves with the Red Bulls. But interesting, we had um, the Merck-Ferrari battle up front. Towards the end of that first stint, actually, Valtteri Bottas had closed it right back up to two seconds. And after the first pit stop, Bottas's engineer was telling him, no, Vettel struggled on that set of tyres. So, you know, what was going on there? I think I think Vettel pitted because he had to. Whereas Bottas pitted because he was covering off uh, losing too much on the undercut. Yeah, well, it's if you'll think back a little bit, they pitted Kimi a bit earlier because of his 10-second penalty. And I think they were using him as a rabbit to get an idea of how the medium tires were worked. But, but his left front tire was mostly destroyed, according to what I heard. Vettel's was and he was losing time I, I mean I mean I think that was the plan and we saw last week that people who went really hard in the hot conditions early tended to build up too much heat in the in the bulk of the tire and then they couldn't radiate it and then the tires would start to blister on the uh, tread and I think that's that's pretty much what happened to him he went he went hard built up a gap but then he couldn't extend it and then he'd he'd run his tires out I mean he yeah, well, it was about lap 20 he came in, so about the middle of the pit stop window. But but he, they, the Ferraris look vulnerable on the soft tires today in this heat. Now, isn't that interesting? Because when we were criticizing Mercedes for their tactics in the Austria Grand Prix, the two things I criticized them for was their wait and see attitude, the, or, or almost like the, the do nothing approach, which is, is not an insult. Do nothing is often a, a perfectly valid engineering or sporting solution. But it's so it's, it's do nothing. And also the other one is maintain the minimum gap they can up front. So what we've seen here is Ferrari not doing that, Ferrari pounding out ahead with Vettel and maybe suffering some of the consequences of it. But isn't isn't it Ferrari that are normally much better on the tyres, certainly this season? Yeah, they, they have generally had better wear on the tyres. But the these are the thinner tyres. Aha. Uh-huh. Ah. This is the last of the special tyre races. Um, which we know give a bit more advantage to Mercedes. But in general, they were made to help deal with this thermal issue. So it could be that they had they were running more downforce or that the balance of the car uh, was just was just not quite there. Or it could just be that Vettel overdrove a little bit at the beginning of the race because he didn't necessarily expect to be leading it. Nick, how do you feel your man was doing then in this race? After he'd come out from the, the first pit stop, he's been struggling on the first set of tyres. 
which, by the way, I heard was the tyre that was actually lasting the better out of the, the two compounds we saw today, which is very odd. Um, did that safety car save Sebastian Vettel from getting hunted down on the second stint or having to pit again? I I didn't see it that way. I saw the safety car in my, I guess, my initial reaction as a as a fan of Seb was, oh, no. Um, he did struggle on the first stint. I do think he tried to pull away a gap in the beginning, and that's just his personal preference. But I wasn't, I guess, panicking about the front left because he's he did still manage to pit like in the regularly scheduled window. And then part of the reason that the gap closed up a little bit was that he had like a 3.1 second stop to Bottas's 2.4 stop. So I kind of rationalized away a little bit of my fear through that as well. <laughs> Uh, it's it's good to admit when your biases creep in. Uh, but so from my point oh, yeah. of view, uh, I'm watching Hamilton come through the back of the pack. And initially, the safety car, obviously, it came out. And after worrying about uh, Ericsson, because uh, genuinely that looked like a big, hard thump. Um, we'll get onto that in a second. The first reaction from a sporting point of view was, you know, fantastic. So from my point of view, Matt, tell me if I'm wrong here. I think the safety car was great for Hamilton to bring him back into the fold. I also think that Vettel was saved from having a lot of pressure on worn tyres in the latter stages of that race from from Bottas. Yeah, agreed. Uh, best Hamilton would have done without a safety car would have been maybe the last spot on the podium, at best. You know, um, safety car also ruined Danny Ricardo's race, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, that was really him. unlucky, wasn't it? He just pitted. Yeah, yeah there was there was nothing to be done about that. Um, and are we now, uh, pardon me for being a little bit out of it here, uh, are we now actually talking about the strategy of whether Mercedes came in or out? Or are we just talking about what might have happened if the safety car wasn't there? Yeah, no, don't worry. We will definitely get onto the tactics. That's a big topic. Uh, where I wanted to kind of place us at the moment was thinking about how that race was going before the safety car. And, and I think we, we have done that to a certain extent. I want to go to Kyle Power first. Explain to me why that first safety car was caused. Well, it was the addition of the third DRS zone going through turn one and giving the drivers the option to try and balls it out and keep it keep it open or whether to shut it. And I think this is a very, very good thing. There's been a lot of criticism of it, but remember back to 2011 in qualifying, they were allowed it for all the corners and we didn't see too many problems during qualifying of drivers leaving it open. Um, I think it's just a bit of a shock to the system, to the drivers. Like he just simply forgot to close it in the heat at the moment. Um, I I think it's good. I think it's good. I, I like the addition of it. He made a simple mistake, and that was it, and paid a huge price for it. But it gave us an exciting race. So, yeah, bye beer for Ericsson. I don't want to be too harsh on Marcus Ericsson, because we did kind of see Roman Grosjean make a similar mistake, and he blamed it on a bump beforehand, making him miss the button. You know, is there? you don't buy that? Yeah, no, I don't think that's a... I don't, I don't think that washes. <laughs> Trumpets. I'm going to disagree having accidentally uh, closed my navigator when I meant to close an entirely different tab on my phone while driving. Yeah, it's very easy to poke the wrong thing when you're doing when you're going that fast and you hit a bump. I, I that, That's marginally plausible uh, from my corner. But I'm curious, do we know for a fact, was he was he planning to leave it open? Did it stick or or is it just flat out his mistake? Have we actually heard anything from the team yet? Are we talking about Grosjean or are we talking about um, Ericsson? Um, Ericsson, I'm not sure about. We're going back to the whole thing about the bump. The only reason I believe Grosjean about the bump was because it was the very, very first thing he said on the radio 
were very, very dejected going, I missed the button. Um, as far as Ericsson said, I haven't heard anything about it, but it just looks like, as far as I'm concerned, he was following somebody. And I think he was too preoccupied with the car in front of him and forgot to shut it. Or was trying to be really, really ballsy. But um, I don't think the Sauber's got that much downforce. Nick? So I'm going to ask a beginner question, and I totally understand the answer, but it's just totally for the listeners that may not understand. But isn't it unusual to have... to for it to be required that you manually close the DRS flap when you're done, isn't it usually at the end of a long straight, you hit the brakes and it closes automatically? Uh, okay, Jeansy, explain to us what was going on here, because it is quite rare that you have two operations of DRS. My understanding is normally you manually press the button to get it to open up, and then the second you even lift off or brake, that DRS flap closes automatically. DRS has has two operations to make it deactivate. To activate, it's always the button. And to deactivate it, it's press the button or the brake. If you lift off, it's fine. Um, but if you if you press the button or you or you touch the brake, that's when it shuts. Uh, Kyle, power. Yeah. Also, also with that, um, some drivers use the brake to close it, while other drivers manually close it. You see in qualifying, you notice Hamilton always tends to manually close it himself before to try and get the reattachment. Some people's cars they struggle you know, a split second after the flap is closed you don't get the air reattachment and you're still losing downforce. So some drivers choose to manually close it anyway. Yeah, trumpets. I think you're about to make the point I was going to ask about, which is Williams had to revert to the old rear wing because is it when they tried to close it, it wasn't closing properly. Well, it's not just that it wasn't closing properly, but they were suffering from exactly what Kyle was talking about, where the airflow wasn't immediately reattaching to the rear wing. So they were having to actually close it earlier before the end of the drs zone to even be able to get through the turns and what happens if that drs is open is you have all of that front downforce on your front and your rear has basically nothing pinning it to the ground so the moment you turn the wheels you just get you just go uh, backwards into whatever solid object is in your current line of travel was it just the rear wing or was it the floor as well? I'm pretty certain that's the reason both cars started from the pit lane was because they had to change the whole pit to go back to the old floor as well because the floor was um, causing uh, areas of, of pressure loss. So they were losing downforce as well. Or am I imagining that? It might have been the floor. What, what, I, the, what I'd heard about being out of town was the, the issues with the rear wing. That's going to be an excuse for not knowing everything today as well. Hey, I was out of town, man. All right, look, uh, then there was another safety car with the Grosjean signs crash as well. Uh, but it was interesting seeing Bottas leading out the safety car. I mean, he started that safety car restart, Kyle, um, before Stowe. Yeah, it was very, very, um, it was very early. I think you caught everyone out uh, how, how how early it went. There was almost a crash down in the midfield behind. He slowed them out right on the exit of um, Maggots. And there was almost an incident behind. I don't know who it was, but I saw several scar- cars going to the side so it was a risky maneuver it's a lewis-esque sort of a slow down a bit too much but it got the jump and it worked for him so i think it was a good tactic reminded me of jensen button in china coming up to the final hairpin and everyone almost went off the circuit mark weber got very very angry about that that day um but no it was actually a really good restart as well because he he went halfway through us halfway through a through a through a warm-up through a weave so he ducked to the right and then went completely caught Seb off guard, actually caught everybody off guard and gave himself a decent gap, which is why he was able to hang on for as long as he did initially, because it took Seb a while to get to his gearbox. 
All right, let's stay with you as well, Gene Z. Um, what that set up was a battle for the lead because I think at that point, at the restart, I'm sure there was lots of people in the crowd thinking this is Lewis Hamilton going for the win. And his engineers were certainly going, you know, come on, you can do this. Uh, your tyres are still looking good. However, we were really sat there thinking he's in trouble from behind. He's vulnerable to Kimi or Verstappen. Um, so the real battle up front was was Bottas versus um versus Sebastian Vettel. And uh, yes, Bottas was stranded a little bit on used tyres. I think he defended really well to start with. Yeah, to start with, he did a brilliant job. He did the exact job he needed to do and should have been able to keep that up for longer. Whether he would have been able to keep that up for the... Because it was... A, it was a, how, how many laps was it left before the end of the safety car? 12, 15, something like that? It was about 12, yeah. yeah it, wasn't, it wasn't a short period between the safety car and the end of the race. Um, but he let himself down because when Vettel eventually got past him, it was a really weak defence. I mean, he left the door wide open and I'm, I'm not surprised that Seb went steaming down. Yeah, but Nick, what a move from your driver there. What a move from Vettel. Really like in Baku, it didn't work. Here, he made it stick. He did make it stick. And I don't know that I believe that he really left the door open that much because that Brooklyn's left field corner was so great today. Jesus is going to have a heart attack about what I just said. But I I think what we saw with with uh, with Max and Kimi was that you can let somebody buy at Brooklyn's and switch back and get back around at left field. It, that, that corner, you can go so deep into that corner. And Bottas was, there was at least two car widths to his inside. And when you have a tire advantage, you are going to dive into that gap. And it's nothing like Baku. Baku was, everyone was on very, very similar tyres, um, and Seb just locked up going into a very slow corner. This is going into a very, very fast corner um, where the guy in front of him had had no tyres. He knew he was coming after a lame duck. Well, you mentioned that, but consider the first time that Vettel almost passed him there, and he shut the door very, very late, but very, very effectively. And he just he just reacted too late. And now he did have that. He did have a loss of traction event coming onto that straight leading to the turn. So it, he may have misjudged how fast Vettel was approaching him. I'm going to put it down to that because I, because you could see him looking in the mirrors, but I think he misjudged the speed and he went to move and it was already done. What was interesting was I saw the, um, the footage afterwards and before the overtake, um, before the overtake, Vettel was further behind than he was on the lap previous. Yeah, as um, Trumpets uh, alluded to, Bottas lost the rear a little bit on on the exit, but I thought it was, he he left the door open, but I thought it was more of a a kind of hard move from Vettel than than poor defence from Bottas. And then it goes back to the nature of the circuit and why we get great racing. It's a corner where you can have five or six different lines on the entrance that always makes it extremely hard to defend against in corners like that, regardless of pace advantage and whatnot. Sticking with you, Kyle, a battle just behind Lewis Hamilton that probably saved Lewis Hamilton from getting dragged a little bit further back into that midfield. Uh, a battle I've seen you involved in many, many a similar thing in, in karting. Um, but it was the Kimi Raikkonen Max Verstappen battle. And it's not the first time we've seen these two going for it. And with Kimi's power advantage and Mr. Verstappen's talent advantage, these two are quite well matched. Yeah, that was, I thought, superb. I wrote down in my notes, um, it was just before the safety car, wasn't it? And that was superb. Um, that was superb defending from Max to hang it round the outside. 
He went all the way around the outside of Bluffield and to keep it on the outside with the power disadvantage all the way through Cops. I thought that was a stunning bit of driving. And it was quite clever for Kimmy to come off. Kimmy didn't stick it there. It could have been a big crash, but Kimmy knows Max is young. He's got the bravery. Nah, I need to back out of this. And that's maybe Max's attitude is what he does to other drivers. But what, what might, some people might have found a bit annoying is in the final defence, the only way Max could keep that speed up was to run all the way off track. Yeah, but their track limits are there to be abused. They were both racing. You know, if, if it makes better racing and let them abuse a the track, let them abuse a the track, I say. Good job Brad's not here, isn't it? Okay, so then let's, uh, let's talk about Mercedes tactics then. Who wants to weigh on this map? Mercedes tactics, for my money, it feels like this is confirmation of what we were talking about last week. Not what they do when they're in the lead, but when there is this safety car situation. They have a do-nothing approach at first, almost like a wait and see. But once again, they chose track position over fresh tyres. Now, how many times are they going to do this before they realise it's not going to work? I was screaming at the telly, Pitt Lewis, Pitt Lewis now. Maybe that wasn't the right one, but certainly Pitt Bottas. Yeah, I, I think you have a harder defence. Uh, hanging Valtteri out there with the longer, older tyres. And yes, I know they didn't have a fresh set of softs to match Ferrari with. So it makes sense, maybe, to give your driver track position and say, do the best you can to defend. Lewis was very, very fast on his mediums. And he was so much farther behind that keeping him out was really the smartest thing. That got him on the podium guaranteed, even if he, even if he had a hard time. Because you could bat, you could see that Verstappen and Raikkonen were just going to slow each other down behind him. So you're you're looking at P3, you're looking at P1, P3, or you're thinking P2, P3 at, at worst. Baja in the chat room makes an excellent point that is very relevant here in that Botas did not have any fresh soft tires to change onto. So how does that change your... Uh, criticism of them not coming in for did new he have mediums. did he have fresh mediums yes i would have gone for new mediums definitely the better option yeah yeah so uh yeah i know a bit optimistic hoping that some magic tire strategy would have got lewis hamilton to the front to be honest he'd already benefited massively from that safety car let's go to uh Z, then kyle um a nice bit of insight was as that safety car was going on um they had uh sky had christian horner on the pit wall today and Christian Horner said he would have left Lewis out and pitted Bottas, which in the end was actually the right thing to do. It, it makes the most sense because you, you would want to cover Vettel at that point, um, but you want to leave Hamilton out to make up the places and do the best he can with the tires. Just, just yeah. like, you know, it's like one plus one equals two, it seems like. I also think Mercedes, why they usually choose to go for track position over fresh tires is, and I think they realize that there's something inherent in the design of their car, the way it works, the aerodynamics. It seems like it's the weakest car following. So they don't want to take that risk following other cars. They seem to destroy their tyres. So I think that dictates their strategy calls. All right. So I have a question for the panel. Do you think that they left uh, Botas out because they do not have entire faith in his ability to overtake? Or do you think they left him out because they were going against the grain and trying to play a risky strategy that if it paid off would give them the race win. So I believe from listening to 
uh, half listening to things in the background while the kids were yelling at me to top up the paddling pool like I'm their slave or something. Uh, right. Anyway, sorry, what was I saying? Yes, that, that, that Bottas had the instruction to do the opposite to what Vettel did. So I think in a very real sense, that is what they were, they were doing. They were rolling the dice. Let's do the opposite to, um, to Vettel. And that's an interesting point. Do they not trust him to make that overtake? In defense, he was reasonably robust. However, I think had those safety cars not come out, even though he had the tire advantage, I think he would have closed all the way up to Vettel and not made that killer move, which is something we have seen over the last two years. Nick numbers Alexander. I think you may be able to spin that the exact opposite way around and say it's not a lack of faith in his ability to attack so much as a faith in his ability to defend. I was harking back to Russia of last year when he took home the win. And I was feeling, again, as a biased fan, oh, no, he <laughs> may just be able to hold on to the end. Cool. Why don't we, why don't we assign some blame? Let's do that. Whose fault is it? Okay, obviously, Kyle and you, Nick, as well, you're new to the podcast. Uh, but we don't have racing incidents on Missed Apex Podcast. We always assign blame because I'm inspired by the way my wife conducts our marriage. If there was a fire in our house and we were trying to escape, we would first have to establish that it was my fault before escaping to safety. So no racing incidents, guys. Uh, we're going to talk about whose fault it was. Kimmy versus Lewis. Okay, let's have a look. Jeansy, who's to blame in that incident? Oh, totally Lewis's fault. He cut him up. No, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Kimmy... Kimmy was opportunist, take a dive up the inside. He took a dive, he locked up. There was plenty of room, because you can see from the replay, um, Lewis was completely outside, and the car uh, was beyond the width of Bottas's car. So you yeah. knew he had the space, and he locked up, and he understood. And you saw, as he locked up, he's, un- he's turning and turning and turning, and there's no more. So, yeah, completely and utterly Kimmy's fault, and I don't believe the naysayers. Okay, so obviously that was, it was turn three, lap one. Uh, Kyle? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 110% Kimmy's fault. Uh, it's a typical inept, clumsy move that we've become accustomed to him on, on the first laps. We've seen it. He keeps these positions. Even Austria first lap, he got himself into a great position, going to the hairpin again, a clumsy, go up wide and then drop back. It seems to be a very common occurrence. All right, but let's go to the Ferrari fan here, Nick. Uh, now, Lewis made a comment after the race that kind of said, oh, that's an interesting tactic suggesting that there was an element of malice involved in that. And you just go, oh, okay, you know, a bit of sour grapes. It's just, you know, it's Lewis, very emotional after the race, probably would regret saying that. But then James Allison comes out and says a similar thing. And then Toto Wolf quoted James Allison as saying that he'd said to him, well, is it either, is it malice or is it incompetence? And Toto, instead of saying, oh, you know, it was just an accident, he went, that's something we've got to decide. So like Mercedes seem like they've really got their back up that Ferrari have got some kind of deliberate shunt first, ask questions later policy to them. So I initially thought you were coming to me to argue the side that it was not Kimmy's fault, that there was a collision. And I'm glad that you didn't. Okay, good. You didn't put me on that spot. But I know we like to argue for the sake of podcast. I can vaguely believe that Lewis or sorry, I I can vaguely believe that a driver would make an accusation like that, but I cannot believe that the team principal would come out and say something like that. And I just, I find it hard to believe that there would be any sort of evidence to support that claim in any way whatsoever. 
Jeansy, shut this Ferrari fanboy up. It's deliberate. They're maliciously crashing into Mercedes's left, right and centre. As fully in the ham camp, unfortunately, I cannot... Um, I cannot say with anyone but Nick on this. I, I agree with Nick what he said, which is a case of um, I can understand as a driver thinking it was that. I can imagine him coming off the track going, oh, he punted me off because I've been in those situations before. And then you look at a replay and like, oh, actually, no, it wasn't intentional. It was just he messed up, um, you know. So, um, yeah, no, it, it was definitely not intentional. I'm staggered by what the Mercedes guys have come out and said. Maybe they're trying to destabilise Ferrari. Maybe they're trying to get the stewards to look at things a little bit closer. Maybe in future incidents they wanted to. If it had been Kimi doing all the hitting, yeah, then it might have been different. But because Seb hit Bottas in France, there's no reason for Seb to want to wipe someone out because it ruins Seb's race. Okay, yeah. And I just want to follow up with, I think it's, I think they're trying to play the refs here. I mean, what kind of penalty does Seb get? Five seconds. Now, granted, he had more damage to the car, but, but you know, he still wound up fifth. What kind of penalty did Kimmy get? Ten seconds. So what does Mercedes want? The next time a Ferrari hits a Mercedes for any reason, they want the blame to go that direction, and they, they want an even harsher penalty because they're trying to create uh, an appearance of, for the stewards, that, that, that they are being so aggressive that, it's unsavory for the sport, I guess, for lack of a better word. Well, now, can I can I use devil's advocate to hide behind whilst I declare my own personal views that I don't want to be attacked for? So uh, playing devil's advocate, do Mercedes have a little bit of uh, an axe to grind or a right to be slightly aggrieved? Looking back in the last year, we've had Mexico 2017 where Sebastian Vettel, from behind, took a punt into Lewis Hamilton, actually punctured his tyre on that occasion. He came off much worse. Lewis Hamilton finished that race in ninth, and I think Vettel was fourth. Then we've got uh, France 2018, where Vettel hits uh, uh, Bottas. Bottas has a puncture, is much worse off. Vettel gets to continue along his way. And here, Britain 2018, Kimi Raikkonen hits Hamilton. Hamilton spins and... He is put way back down the field, and the gap was something like 17, 16 seconds. Kimi Raikkonen, only a 10-second stop and go. Jeansy, the Mercedes got some reason to feel aggrieved. They keep getting punted by behind from Ferraris, yet the Ferraris benefit overall in those races. When stuff keeps happening to you, you think it can't be. Fa- you think it can't not be an accident. And unfortunately, I think they're getting a little bit neurotic. But the interesting thing about the previous two incidents, which, where Lewis was lucky today, was Lewis didn't get any damage. In the last two incidents, the other two, uh, Lewis got massive damage in Mexico and Bottas got massive damage to the floor in France. Um, but no, I, I'd love to put a Tim Thor hat on and say, yeah, 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 it's Ferrari all over again. FIA, Ferrari International Assistance, and they're all helping them. And it's all controversy to try and make them not win. I can't buy into it. We're talking about massive conglomerate businesses in a sport. It's no, just hang on a minute. No, you're and talking... there's too, and also there is too much video evidence and data tracking. They know what those guys are. They know what those guys' heartbeats are doing. 
as those things go in. So okay, not, put it this way: I, I don't think I don't think it's as Gattaca as all of that. Um, but I think this is the equivalent of in football: you leave your foot in. So there's there's a lot of challenges in football where you get in there, you know you're not getting the ball, but it doesn't do you any harm to leave your foot in. The guy's going at pace; he's the one that's going to get damaged. At most, you're going to get your sort of leg pulled a bit. If you're if you have this policy and philosophy in your team of if you're the car behind, you know, leave your nose in front. The worst that happens is that you're going to lose your end plane or lose your nose like Vettel did in France. The car in front is either going to get spun or get a puncher. Out of these incidents we've listed, Mercedes have had punchers twice and been spun the other time where they didn't get a puncher. Trumpets. Yeah, well, here's the thing. The, the, the biggest piece of evidence for me is that had, had Kimmy actually made that apex, he probably would have been in front of Hamilton. So hitting him really just didn't make a lot of tactical sense. I mean, you have the lockup, but if, if you, if you, if you, if you watch it, you can see that he, he basically entirely, he starts to turn and then he just goes straight on into Hamilton. If he'd actually been able to get the car around, around the corner, He'd been if he'd been able to slow it down and get it around the corner, I think he'd have been ahead of him out the other side because Lewis was so far behind momentum wise still that that he was going to lose that place to Reich and it had had they carried on without contact. Ladies and gentlemen, the sound you're hearing is the familiar feature of Alex Van Jean moving himself around his desk and banging his mic. Think of it as ambiance that we bring to Missed Apex podcast. Nick, can I just compliment you on your audio discipline, uh, but not your lack of a beard? It's horrific still. I still can't get used to it. What's your point, sir? I would like to continue the soccer slash football analogy a little bit. And is, that, I'll, I'll is, that, is that because it's coming home? Just wondering. Uh, I can't confirm nor deny whether it is coming home. I... Uh, Anyway, so I just think it's a little bit interesting that sometimes you make a professional foul in soccer slash football, yes. whatever you want to call it, and you take football. your yellow card. And in that sport, it's viewed as like a totally reasonable thing that you can do. Like you can do that, but the penalty is the yellow card. But in Formula One, we do not feel the same way about it. You can't be like, well, he took a professional foul and the penalty was 10 seconds and that's totally fair. And I guess it's just... And I'm not saying that's what he did, but why would that be so bad if it's okay in a different sport for argument's sake? Yeah, it's how they judge the penalties. I mean, there's no I don't think the I don't think the consequence sort of fits the crime. So they don't look at it in an emotive sort of fashion, like who he hit. They don't look at that consequence, they just apply the same penalty. Well, somebody, I don't know who it was after the race, made a comment that you know, um, if you get a penalty, you've taken someone out, you should then fall behind that person that you've taken out. Like that's what happens at the karting race. You've been somebody, you then have to drop behind. So for Ferrari's case, we're getting a 10 second penalty for taking out your main title challenger. Spot on. It's perfect. It really, it really suits them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, sorry about that. I just, uh, Chris Fonseca in the chat room makes the excellent point to Alex Van Jean as, as, as the FIA can confirm, Kimmy has no actual heartbeat. So there's no way to tell his intentions. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, look, there's a culture in Italian sport. I think it's not unfair to say that it was the Italians that really kind of showed the English that you can try to trick Cook the referee. Food. Say again? Cook food. <laughs> Ouch. Yes, that's right. We do have bland food <laughs> because we're too busy drinking beer and cheering on England. Uh, right. So, so yeah, but I mean, the Italians, 
they they reveled in this trying to win a penalty, trying to trick the referee. And if they trick the referee, the the crowd would cheer and go, "Yes, well done, you tricked the referee." So I don't know. Anyway, I don't think I don't think Kimi Raikkonen deliberately took out Lewis Hamilton. Uh, so are you ever going to ask me uh, whose fault it was, or, or am I not playing today? I'm just assuming you're going to say Kimi. Oh, actually, you could no. say Hamilton because of his terrible start. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. The other side needs to be represented no matter how uncompetent. Tell you what, then let's go to the American boys for the next Whose Fault Is This? Incredibly similar situation, Matt. Both the the guys for your American team took each other out in much the same circumstances, actually. Uh, Yeah, it did look very, very similar. And uh, right away, I'm going to have to hand the penalty to Grosjean because he clearly basically lost control of his car and wanged into his teammate, ruining both their races. But there was no penalty, was there? And I think that contradicts Kyle's point that they do not look at it impartially. They do not apply the same penalty regardless of who hits whom. And that who hits whom is actually very important. And I think there is something to the theory that Mercedes are just, you know, drawing attention to what Ferrari are doing in yeah, the I hopes like that, that it'll like escalate. And, and that's there is one very big difference between the the Raikkonen-Hamilton incident and the Haas incident, which is that Magnussen was overtaking from behind, whereas Lewis was ahead and Kimi was coming up the inside. And I think that is a non-trivial difference. But maybe Alex has a different thought about it. Arguably, Lewis and uh, Kimi were side by side. It was only because Lewis braked really, really late, which was the reason they weren't when they started to turn in. Um but to be fair, the only reason it wasn't a penalty is because they're teammates. Um, but to be fair, one of the things that could have happened from that incident is once those two both went off the circuit, Grosjean very, very nearly took the front off Lewis's car. So could you imagine if that had happened? Got punted off by a Ferrari and then taken out of the race by a Ferrari-backed car. Can you imagine what Ericsson would have done when he finally got there? He was too busy trying to go find the sea at the first corner. <laughs> Very quickly, before we go to the next, um, the whose fault is this, right at the start as well, Ocon spun, and I think he spun all on his own, but he nearly wiped out the Williamses who were starting from the pit lane. Imagine if the Williams cars had been taken out in a racing incident before they'd even joined the track. That would have been incredible, and it wasn't all that far away, Nick. We would have to get Sean Kelly back on to figure out whether or not that would be a DNS. <laughs> or a DNF. Yeah, interesting. Um, I don't want to get into that argument again. Uh, but I think if you are lined up, ready to go, as the lights go red, you've started the race, regardless of whether you move or not. That, that's my opinion on that. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uh, right, okay, so uh, let's stick with Jeansy then. Grosjean versus Signs. Now, Signs was coming, I think, up around the outside. Grosjean was on the inside. To me, it looked like Signs didn't give Grosjean enough room. Uh, but frankly, Signs knows who's in that car. Come on. So I was all for saying that this was Signs' fault um, because he didn't give him enough room. However, I watched the replay about six times and also listened to Anthony Davidson's understanding of it and if you look at where science was he was he there was a car width the thing that caused the crash was as uh, they were going through the apex of the corner um grosjean had an oversteer moment he oversteered and then he hit science so full fault goes to grosjean science i mean it was ballsy to go around the outside and we've yeah. seen a few of them uh, this weekend, people go around that side. I think um, Kimi did it on Verstappen, didn't he? Um, but yeah, I'm blames at um, Grosjean's door there. Uh, uh, before we see if anybody disagrees, it was Perez who spun at the beginning. Sorry, not um, not Ocon. Carl, do you disagree with that analysis? Uh, I agree, disagree with his initial analysis. It's 100% Grosjean's fault. Science left enough room. They were down there. It's Grosjean had a little taily moment on the way in. Grosjean made a mistake and crashed into the other car. Science left enough room. I, I, I don't even know how it could be considered a racing accident. It's 100% Grosjean. Okay, so let's just take a, a step back here for a second and consider Roman Grosjean's weekend. After that amazing result uh, last time out in Austria, this weekend, he crashes by missing the button. Uh, and and uh, not being able to redeploy, attach his rear wing, uh, and crashes. He then smashes into his own teammate, and then finishes it off by taking out him and Carlos Sainz for the race. I mean, wow, Matt! Like we have tried to champion Roman Grosjean over the years. Boy, it doesn't make it easy, does he? Massively inconsistent. Yeah, he he he. The problem is when he does well, he does really really well, and he clearly has always had uh, a real touch of speed in the car but man man he's inconsistent in the worst possible ways it's just that i mean you know at least he's not a hartley but wow yeah and that's a real kind of shame because i i had a little cheeky bet on magnuson ending up on the podium today because i really feel there's a harsh resurgence but both those cars were limping around because of grosjean yeah. 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 And and that was that was lap one and done for, for the whole team, basically. Okay, then quickly, I'm just going to go to you, Alex. I think you're the only one on uh with an opinion on this. Um Gasly on Twitter really kind of had a go at the stewards saying, Why are we doing these stupid penalties? It's ridiculous, just let us race. But from what I'm understanding, and there was so much else going on, basically Gasly's given Perez a tap and that's let him get past. Yeah, so the way I saw this, they were coming down to it was the club i think penultimate last couple of corners yeah. wasn't it um and i was quite happy to sort of put it in the realms of the kimmy um lewis situation but instead it, what it was was it he as 
as Gasly has come into the corner, he's gone through, clipped the apex, and he's had a swapper. He's had a swapper and he's hit Perez. If you do that and you have a swap and you hit somebody who has enough space by the side of them, you've gone into them, it's your fault. Um, Perez then went off the track. But I don't know if Perez got the position for going off the track through the last corner. Um, and I didn't know there was a penalty because I had to turn off pretty much straight Yeah, he got a five-second penalty, which dropped him out of the points, which uh, which actually is making my bet with uh, Neil because everyone's assuming that Renault are going to beat Force India. It's not a great deal in it, you know. There's not a huge, huge amount in it. Uh, I think it was 20 points at the start of this race and, um, and they haven't extended that lead over Force India that much. Uh, in the chat room there quickly, Tariq uh, Asraf says, I believe Haas will dump Grosjean at the end of the season. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think with Magnussen doing very, very well, I think there is space. There could well be an opportunity at Haas next season. Jeansy? I think if uh, Ferrari don't take the plunge that I think they should do with Leclerc, they will put Leclerc in a Haas. Wow. In place of Grosjean. No, come on, Kyle Power. Surely they're not going to stick with Kimi for another season. No way. Tell me it's not so. I think that would be a travesty for the sport. They have to stick Leclerc into that Ferrari and they never they never go for young drivers. It's going to cause a bit of an upset, but I think they're going to have two number one drivers and they, they rarely do that. They have to do it for the sake of the sport. If not, they should be fined by the FAA. Yeah, but Nick, will Leclerc be willing to deliberately crash into Mercedes just on team orders? That's, that's what I was going to say. I, I think that Kimi just retained his seat for next year. I mean... He doesn't really have a lot of alternatives for seats that he'd want to go to. So if you are going to put on your conspiracy theory hat, then you would think that, you know, he'd be the one that would follow those kind of orders. Jeans, are you trying to get in, mate? You're holding your hand in a very kind of uppy position, I would say. Okay, don't worry. That's just the kind of thing that happens on a Skype call. I keep the people who aren't talking's thumbnails very small because they're all very, very ugly. Okay, so I spent many, many years just on Twitter happily tweeting away things and nobody pays any attention. And, and But thankfully, or, you know, maybe not thankfully because of this show... More and more people are interacting with the stuff I post, which is lovely. Until you post something innocuous along the lines of, what did I post? Let's see, what did I post here? I said, a bit poor, not doing the interview. No? That's quite a non-controversial statement, given that they have a press conference uh, or a kind of media liability. I saw Lewis Hamilton just staggering off, and I went, that's a bit poor, no? 19 likes, 20 comments. Those comments were either... You're an idiot. How dare you attack Lewis Hamilton? Or they're like, yeah, Lewis Hamilton's the devil and we should definitely kick him out of the sport forever. Like that is quite a divisive range of comments, Kyle. Yeah, but I think that's what's good about Lewis. You want to see emotion. You want to see drivers annoyed and walking away from interviews. That causes that causes drama. I don't like the whole corporate front that a lot of people put on. Like at least Lewis will wear his heart on his sleeve. And if his is angry and upset you can really tell it so the fact is yeah it wasn't the most professional thing to do but it just shows how upset he was after the race and i think that sort of these reactions should be encouraged you know look at nascar indycar you know it's it's almost encouraged for drivers to to like be angry and upset and i, I think that would benefit formula one if they're allowed to, if they're allowed to be a bit more moody jeans yeah it's um when it comes to when it comes to lewis we know we get emotional outbursts from him but and I think Kyle will agree with me on this. We've all had moments where we're in a car and we're in a race and things haven't gone our way. I got a, the best bit for me was BRKC last year, this year, Spanners was commentating and he's told me before every race 
he's going to make sure he interviews me after every single race. I had one particularly very, very poor race. One? I kept my helmet on. One? I kept my helmet. Okay, enough. I kept my helmet on and I walked straight past him. The last thing I wanted was anyone to talk to me for that period. And yeah, completely. I stormed off. I was annoyed. And that's about a car event that I had no chance in winning. Lewis <laughs> wanted to win today. Lewis could have won today. Even with his bad start, Lewis still could have won today. And I think he said to Martin Brundle after his interview on the podium, he said, I'm really sorry. I just wanted to compose myself so I didn't say something on telly that I didn't want to say. Yeah, absolutely. Like people seem to forget these drivers are under a huge pressure. There's millions of people watching. Imagine yourself getting out of the car with the adrenaline still flowing and you're still upset and you maybe don't want to say something that you'll very much regret. So it's better to take that time out. Okay, but I can't see how you can criticize them for it. We can all we can all see the human side. I mean the headline human individual behaves in a human manner in high pressure sports event is hardly controversial. I think it's worth saying the other side, which is after 12 years at the very highest level of Formula One, 11, 12 years, he should be able to just hold his breath, compose himself within that short amount of time. He was the second person that was going to be spoken to. Surely it's not the end of the world to just give a a few words, considering it's his home Grand Prix. There's been a whole stadium's worth of people cheering him on. Is it so much to ask, Nick, just to get a few words out of him? I think so. You say he has that brief amount of time, but that amount of time has been severely shortened in the recent times. I mean, he used to be able to go to the cool down room, get a drink of water and then interview. It's a good and one. now you've taken that time away. So he, he really, I mean, they're just all over these people. And I, as a viewer, I can wait two <laughs> minutes for them to get to the podium to then have the interview. Like I do not need Martin Brundle of all people with a microphone in his face while he's taking his earphones out. See, Gene and that's coming from a stupid Ferrari fan. It is, yeah. <laughs> However, Kimmy has made an entire career of not talking on camera, so um, it could be something that other drivers could could take on board. Now, and people only love one. him for it. Well, this uh, is it. I mean, Kimmy ate an ice cream once, didn't he? So we all love him. That's why. And and Ferrari were kind of praised for finally talking to Channel Four today. And he's like, well, hang on a minute, Ferrari shut up shop constantly and people love ferrari here's what lewis hamilton said i assume on instagram or snapchat or snap snapchat the snapchats uh, i lost nearly three kilograms trying to get back to the top today for you and for my team i barely had the energy at the end to stand let alone talk if you can't understand and appreciate that then i fully understand however it was nothing to do with anger literally just exhausted both physically and emotionally thank you to everyone for the incredible sport this weekend we win and lose together onwards and upwards so i, I get that that's his measured response However, I still feel that basically he was still fuming from being punted off. Uh, he showed that in his comments in the post-race interview. So I think he just did what Jeansy did. He just had a moment where he was still livid about getting punted off by Kimmy and he didn't want to talk. Uh, but hardly a hanging offence. I'd preferred that he would have talked. But I've always hated it at like the Olympics and track where, you know, you just interview someone who's run 5,000 metres and you're trying to get their thoughts and there's just no way they can get anything out. I think Nick makes a good point. Leave it. Let them go and cool down. Let them go and get a drink of water and talk to them on the podium because they talk to them on the podium anyway. Right. I like to argue with Matt about who has the best car. Matt, Mercedes have had the best car for the last four races. Discuss. I'm not going to agree with that. I'm not going to agree with that. I, didn't I think, expect I think you to. the Ferrari has had better overall use characteristics 
uh, of the tires. And and again, look, you know, it's because your definition of best car is went fastest in whatever race just happened. I still feel like the Ferrari has a more benign setup to it. And I feel like over a wider range of conditions, they're better on their tire usage than Mercedes. But the compounds today, you'll note, were the soft, medium, and the hard, which I think might have been debuted finally in an actual race by Sainz. Oh, I'm, did Sainz use it? I did believe so. Final. Literally nothing Both left. Renos. Both Renaults. Ah, there you go. Both uh, so I think the tires, the tire compounds they picked benefited Mercedes in terms of how the car works with the tires. And, and beyond that, they also had the thinner tires, which also have provided greater benefit to Mercedes True. because they have been disadvantaged by the regular tires a bit more than Ferrari. So if you, if you look at today's race, I would say that, yeah, I think, I think Lewis was the fastest man. And if it was just whoever had the fastest car on the day, it should have been his race to win. I would agree with that. But I think if we're looking at the overall season, not yeah. just for races, I, I still have to go with, I think Ferrari has a more flexible Ooh, and better. No, Ma, this is where I think you're wrong. I think we've all been a little bit deceived by a run of uh, events and also a Mercedes kind of not being used to being in this particular kind of battle. Um, I think we're getting to the point where we've had a switchover. Basically, Ferrari are now having to just get by with just one uh, electrical battery for deployment. So they've had to uh, struggle and adjust to that. Since that has happened, Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton dominated in Spain. Monaco's odd because it's a go-kart track with jet planes flying around it. Um, they A dead bird in Canada and a power unit issue during the race. The Mercedes, again, with no issues, was the strongest package at Paul Ricard. It was the strongest package in Austria as well, but they broke down on the strategy and then they broke down mecha- mechanically. And then today, they've had a fluff start and being pumped, being punted by Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, to me, Carl, it just looks like it, the best car has emerged uh but we've not been able to see it because of a number of issues. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think overall Mercedes is the best car if they're in front. As soon as they get someone troubling them or someone in, in front, then they don't seem to be able to attack. While the Ferrari seems a lot more flexible with strategy and seems to manage to attack when they're on the back foot. Mercedes are a great sprint car. They're great you know, to do what Vettel and Red Bull used to do a few years ago, the run and hide races. If they get slightly mixed up, I, think, I, I don't think they have the ability to fight back as Ferrari does. And sync in the chat room. Oh, I'm sorry, not Hansink. Kevin 66661263 in the chat room says that Ferrari appears to be the benchmark now for engine power. And I found it rather remarkable that five of 10 cars in Q3 were Ferrari powered at a power dependent circuit that was even more power dependent than ever before. Well, hang on a year. minute. The fastest cars were were well the fastest car was a mercedes two of the mercedes are in williams's so that's that's not fair to judge them in any way shape or form uh, i thought you might say that now, now now to be fair there's a few people saying that the ferrari engine is the benchmark but i think honestly the overall package now you're going to see mercedes stretch their legs but the thing is we're just not used to seeing a battle this close we've become so used to like the rosberg hamilton era where um you could see the dominance clearly. You have to cast your mind back and you have to think of the multiple 
constructor multiple driver championships to remember what it's like to see a seesawing battle. Uh, we're not going to see, just because Mercedes have got the better package now, in my mind, it doesn't mean they're going to go off and win any race, every race. It just means that they've got an advantage, Matt. And, and this, this, I really believe that now, going forward, you're going to see Red Bull catching Ferrari more than you're going to see Ferrari keeping pace with Mercedes. Uh, I might... I might be willing to cede you the second part of that statement that that you might see Mercedes gap Ferrari because I don't think we've really seen the full implications of Mercedes uh, new developments that they've put in the last two races. So it could be that, that they are genuinely ahead of Ferrari. And I, I haven't seen enough evidence to say yes or no to that. But there's no way Red Bull are catching Ferrari. Ferrari and Mercedes are in a league of their own on any track that is the least bit power sensitive. I mean, what was it about seven tenths? Yeah. Easily. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's, it, it, it is Singapore. Yeah. Red Bull all the way. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. No. Oh yeah. I'll get into that in a minute because Verstappen literally said it was like driving with an F2 engine. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I'm not taking anything where away we, from Mercedes. Where have we heard that before? Yeah, Mercedes, look, Ferrari have definitely produced an amazing package. They've got a great engine. They've got a great car. I just think that Mercedes still have that development advantage. I think it's already started. Plus, Ferrari lost a big advantage in power deployment by having their second battery discovered. The reason we haven't seen it in the last few races has just been a few events that have happened, a few issues, and Mercedes dropping the ball on strategy. But uh, let's talk about Red Bull. Driving with an F2 engine, Max Verstappen again ahead of Daniel Ricciardo on track. Uh, But what happened to him in the end, Nick? What happened to Max Verstappen was that he could not get into any gear besides fourth gear. And that will just about end your race right there. Good. Thanks for that technical information. Jeans, are you trying to get in? Um, yeah, with regards to um, Max's comments regarding the engine, have you noticed that ever since the Honda deal got signed, they've gone back to slagging off the Renault engine? Yep. <laughs> it's, it's, yep, they're in an unhappy marriage now. That's always going to be awkward. Kyle? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just now wondering like, how nervous Honda are feeling now. So seeing how Red Bull um, have treated Renault before. And the, the Honda received some pretty bad treatment at McLaren in public relations. I wonder if they're starting to get sweaty palms now. <laughs> yeah, you are. They, they should be based on what Gasly said about the engine. I mean, how, what did he say about their straight line speed? He 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 basically said that they were losing uh, the better part of a second a lap on on straight line speed, but that the car was really good in corners. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> and and it, it just I don't know. I mean. The other thing to consider is that, you know, Renault had this big MGUK upgrade and that the Renault team is the only one to actually be running it because neither McLaren nor Red Bull could could refit the rear end of their chassis to accommodate the new shape of the power unit. So they both simply chose a refreshed older version. So they're still running an MGUK and that Renault engine from what, 2015, (laughs) 2016? It, it's it, they they don't have a new one they just have a fresh one and and that's all about the cooling requirements and that's again someplace that that Renault has really caused problems for all of the teams uh and we saw at the end of the season last year okay so there's just two points of any other business and helpfully my panel haven't told me who put in what so hands up who was uh talking about K-Mag being an outspoken personality that was me it was uh 
not any particular thing he said this weekend, but just a just a general impression I've gotten over the last month or so that he just is feeling really comfortable in himself when he gives interviews and is not shy. And we were just talking about how, you know, Lewis is a human being and we're glad that he's not a robot and we want our drivers to have personality. And uh, I'm just appreciating it with K-Mac. I, I really like him. He's got a great personality. He's uh, he's not being quite as punchy and getting I mean, he's still getting involved in stuff, but like not as much as last year where it seemed like everybody hated him. I, I think there's real potential there. If ha- if he gets basically a number two driver next season when Grosjean gets binned and Haas continue pushing forward, I think you could see Kevin Magnussen on podiums towards the end of this year and in 2019. Um, who who wanted to chat about Leclerc and Ericsson? Leclerc. What are we going for? Let's go for Leclerc. That was probably me as well, I think. And anybody, feel free to jump in, but... I mean, he was running in P7 while Ericsson was running in P14. He outqualified him by about six tenths a second. I mean, he is just completely dragging him through the mud. I'm impressed. Yeah, totally agree. The Claire, he's exuding class, everything. He's gone out. He looked at all of the positives. He took the thing. He didn't slack the team off. It was just very calm, collected, move on and look forward. I think he's got world champion written all over him. Yeah, see, Trumpets put Leclerc in a Williams and they'd be definitely on the podium. Definitely. They'd definitely be last, but he would be the first amongst Williams. So he'd be like, no they'd be it. slightly less last, wouldn't they? All right, then, guys. I'll tell you yeah. what, why don't, we, why don't we move on to the podium? It's a really good race. And part of me is, is really grateful for this Ferrari performance and the way that they are taking advantage of every slip up. They seem to be taking advantage of every ounce and every inch of opportunity they have, because if Mercedes were being able to match them on performance race and strategy wise, I think Mercedes will be starting to edge away. They're making it very, very challenging for Mercedes. I still think Ferrari a second best, but wow, what a fight they're putting up at the moment. This is just my opinion. There's people out there that will think Ferrari is the best complete package out there. That's not the opinion I hold. So let's give out some awards. Matt Trumpet rolling his eyes at me for daring to have an opinion different to him with his American arrogance. Who was your thing of the weekend? Who did really well? Or maybe I was just trying to wake myself up because it's been a very long day of driving for me. But okay. Hang on, Jeansy hasn't been talking that much. It's not that boring. Sorry. My thing of the weekend, the safety car. It is amazing, isn't it? How often a safety car makes for a good race. We can't bake it in. But what what I thought, interestingly, was I thought that should have been a virtual safety car. Normally, you only have a safety car coming out when the marshals have got to run onto the track, they were recovering a vehicle and they didn't want people to come off in that same zone. And to be fair, that turn one is a zone people have been coming off all weekend, but at at virtual safety car speed, that would have been fine. Marshals weren't having to run onto the track. So I don't know why they bunched them all up. Normally they bunched them all up to give them time to run on and grab bits. So I think that could have been a virtual safety car. Well, I I think the problem is... um... Well, and I will just say it is, is, is that I think they feel the drivers have too much discretion about their speed because they're trying to make, um, they're trying to drive to a Delta. Yeah. So, so they can vary their speed. And, and, and when you have a JCB on track like that, you're just going to, you're going to see the FIA exercising maximum caution. 
Or was it the Hamfosi Silverstone institutionalised marshals deliberately knowing <laughs> that a safety car would be better for Lewis Hamilton? But yeah, yeah, it's one of those conundrums. We know safety cars make for great races, so you couldn't blame them if they twitched towards safety car over VSC. Uh, Vincent Vanderhoek makes an excellent point that because of the severity of the crash, the medical car was required at the scene. Thus, the safety car came out. And you are absolutely right. I'm sure that set off the G-meter in the car when it hit. Okay, let's go for Alex Jeansy Van Jean. Who's your thing of the weekend? As always when I do this, I've got several. But the um, I'm actually going to go with Lewis's pole lap. Uh, it was, I watched it, I've watched it about four times. It was staggering. It was so on the edge. It was so perfect, so precise. And I like the gapped Seb, which was 0.044. Yeah. I like that. That worked for me. So that, that gets my thing of the weekend. Uh, he, he doesn't always deliver in qualifying because he's going for the perfect lap twice. But I think in this case, this is one of the ones we've criticized him before for like, you know, not getting that banker lap in and, and always going all out. In this case, I think it's paid off and it was an absolutely fantastic lap and he needed it. Kyle Power, who was your thing of the weekend? Uh, I'm going to go and get to trend here of the Hanfosi and say, actually, it was Sebastian Vettel. We haven't really complimented him enough. He put in a flawless, flawless drive, pulled off a great move on Bottas to take the win about five laps from the end. Lots of drama. So here's my thing of the weekend. Yeah, I think that's fair. That I think that that move on Bottas completely mugged him. I think I think Jeans is being a bit harsh on Bottas, saying he left the door open. I, I don't think you would have reasonably expected that. And and that same move didn't work in Baku earlier this year and cost him the race win, didn't he? Uh, and you know, Bottas would have won that if his tyre hadn't have exploded. Nick Numbers Alexander, who was your thing of the weekend? Was it well, was it the Ferrari strategist that ordered Kimi to? punt lewis hamilton off yes right <laughs> no no i uh i really appreciated sebastian's comment in italian which i'm going to butcher but he said a casa loro which means in their house and i just really enjoying the uh team chemistry between him and the ferrari guys the italian guys and i'd like to give a little shout out to nico hulkenberg for sneaking in the sixth place we haven't talked about it a whole lot but he qualified several places back and had the Renault power unit and managed to get the maximum result. Uh, Gene Z. Just a key point on the fact that we didn't notice that Hulkenberg went sixth place. There was for once, there was so much going on at the front. We didn't see much of the rest of the race because the whole race was, there was a fight at the front and you saw glimpses of Lewis coming back through the field, but most of it was just focused on the battle at the front. That shows how close this championship yeah. is. I mean, there was a really kind of tight battle there with Fernando Alonso involved, wasn't there, Nick? And there was that, that train of cars there fighting for the points, but there just wasn't the time to focus on that. You almost need to watch that race again. Yeah, I think after the first four cars crossed the line, I like ran to the bathroom because I just couldn't like <laughs> keep it in any longer. But um, I, yeah, I just, a lot of times we complain about F1 fans. And uh, people say, oh, F1's broken. I think it's not broken. I think watching uh, Mercedes, a Ferrari, a Mercedes and a Ferrari coming down the hangar straight in the stow with however many laps to go. I mean, it just does not get any better than that. Ferrari's, uh, sorry, Ferrari's not broken. F1's not broken. It's the tracks we race on. The terrible races we've had this year are, are on predictable tracks. You, you could have called it Spain, pretty dull, Monaco 
always a procession. Australia, it's not a great racetrack for modern Formula One cars. Kyle, you're you're new to this podcast. Agree with me so that I will like you more. Yeah, I am agreeing with you. I was saying tracks need more multi-line corners like Brooklyn's. More corners that that was straight onto them and you will get good racing. It's as simple as physics. Kyle will do whatever you tell him to to keep his seat. <laughs> Just like Kimmy. <laughs> <laughs> the inter-team battle starts early on Missed Apex. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Uh, okay, so that's the good thing, isn't it? Oh, I haven't done one as well. Yeah, probably Leclerc. I think, have you done your good thing, Trumpets? Have you? Yes, you have. Leclerc definitely continues to be the thing of the weekend uh, very, very often. Lewis Hamilton, obviously, that's a, a good comeback drive there. Uh, you have to say the safety car did help him and it does kind of show up the difference between the top six teams and the rest. I mean, he was, he was up on the back of the, the top six very, very quickly. Uh, okay. So we, uh, missed the apex. Bad thing, Matt Trumpets. Who, who bad thinged? Ooh, wow. Um, wow. Raikkonen literally missed the apex. So he gets the award. Yeah. I find it hard to argue with that today. Uh, um, how about his pace overall though, Matt? Uh, who Reagan space yeah. overall? Yeah, yeah. You know he he um uh, his qualifying looked okay. He was very fast in in practice. Um, I, I think based on where he wound up, and and I I will I I will give him redemption points for his battle with Verstappen. No doubt about it. So you know, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll give him that. I'll absolutely give him that. But. I, I wasn't in, as impressed this week as that. He was too inconsistent this week compared to last. That's what I would say. Kyle Power, who missed the apex for you? Um, when on board camera feed, they still can't get the sound synced up with the images correctly, and those silly graphics get rid of them. It's been doing my head in. Yeah, it's only it's <laughs> only races this season. It's only racers that care about that. Us muggles sitting there watching it, we no none of us have noticed at all. If it wasn't for you guys sitting and pointing it out, uh, fair enough. Um. Uh, Alex, Jeansy Van Jean, who missed the apex for you, buddy? Not everyone would have seen this, but mine goes to Claire Williams. Because during the um, Sky F1 live show on Thursday, they had a um, a push car race. And um, while being shown the cars, they took Claire Williams round. And Claire Williams pointed at one of the push cars and goes, we should probably use that for the race, not our car. <laughs> That's like, you can't say that. You've got however many thousands of engineers back in, in the garage and back at Grove, and you've just told them that a wooden push car out of a box is better than their race car. I mean, she's got a point, but Jesus, woman, you can't do that. The reason she said that, of course, was because the boxcar drivers were wearing trousers in and not disgracing themselves by wearing shorts uh, on the pit lane. Nick Alexander, who missed the apex for you. I think I have to go to Williams as well for what must be the worst performance in Q1 I have ever seen. And then Claire Williams' reaction that was caught on television after Sorotkin also spun. Yeah, so, so what do we do about Williams? Like, We can't just sit here week after week and talk about how Williams uh, are terrible and failing. Why don't we just set a threshold by which Williams have to perform before we start talking about them again? Oh, I was going to say, are you talking about the 107% rule? Because I think that may come into effect here shortly. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Let, let, let's, let's agree <laughs> that offline <laughs> and, uh, and we'll, we'll see if we can, we can uh, come to some arrangement about what we do. I don't want to keep doing Williams down. There's a lot of hardworking people at that team, but there's something sure. in that core philosophy that's dragging them down at the moment. They're well funded. Sure. They have history. 
They have pedigree. Why why can't they do it? What is going wrong? It's a, it's an absolute mystery. <laughs> All right then. Uh, where do we go from here, Matt? Pony Awards. Uh oh. Daddy, I want a pony, and I want it now. Even though I was defending them earlier, the Pony Award does kind of just have to go to Mercedes as a whole for their conspiracy theory uh, about Ferrari. Um, if it turns out to be true, I'm not going to be stunned. If there's a, a punt policy at Ferrari, I won't fall over and go, oh, Ferrari? Of all the people, I would not have expected it. However, I don't think it is true. And it kind of is showing that the pressure is getting to them that this came out publicly. No, Matt? Yeah, well, I, I think you hit nail, head, hammer. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what we're seeing is the pressure is really on at Mercedes in a way that it just has not been um, since they uh, since the new set of regulations. You know, no one really expected them to do great the first couple of years, and then they show up for the new regulations and they dominate everything. And all of a sudden, I think there's genuine concern on the Mercedes side that they might not actually win everything always. And I'm being a bit facetious there, but but it's really yeah. true. I mean, I, I think they are concerned that they may not be able to pull this off in a way that they have not been since they started winning things again. And what you're talking about is a dead result of that. As far as a Pony Award goes, I don't know. Am I am I the only one who remembers Fernando Alonso having an extended rant in qualifying? Yeah, maybe. Yep. No. Yeah. 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 No. I, I think I think I, I think I think our our friend. Our, our friend from Spain has to get my pony award for that rant because it was just epically beautiful. Any other ponies from the chat room, from the panel? Sorry. Go on, Gigi. Anyone, uh, I've just come back from the loo, so I might be wrong. Has anyone said Kimmy yet? No. Oh, yeah. Kimmy lost, oh. His, Kimmy lost his mind at the beginning of the race. Oh, my God. My front wing, my front wing, my front wing, my tyres. I've got no front grip. Fine. Don't listen to me then. No, he said, oh, OK, I'm not allowed to think anymore. No, that was it. Not allowed to think. Imagine, if, imagine if Lewis had said that. Oh, that would be the headline in the Daily Mail. Uh, but I, I am going to give it to po- uh, the Pony Award to Lewis Hamilton because, you know, come on. The, pon- the essence of Pony Award is stopping off and not talking to the not talking to the reporter as agreed beforehand. I think that is worthy of the Pony Award. I think I get. I think I get why he did it. Nevertheless. It wasn't a strop. It was time to compose himself. <laughs> Fair play. Fair enough. Alex, Jeans Van Jean, where can people find you on the internet? Pretty much every social media aspect. I'm at Alex Van Jean on everything you look at because I'm boring and I don't come up with different names. We're doing uh, the GT3 World Championships on uh, Online Racing Network, which Kyle won our last race on Monday. But it's Online Racing Network. They show lots of different stuff going on. We live stream and we commentate live with the Sultry tones of Chris Danes. Chris Danes is awesome, but frightening. He has no idea that he looks like a murderer, even though he's the nicest bloke in the world. Carl Powers, where can people find you? Um, I'm on Facebook. It's under my name, Carl Power, and I'm on YouTube. I've got some karting videos from a helmet cam on there. Um, yeah, I'm just called Kyle Power, and I don't do Twitter. I'm a bit old-fashioned, so... where You don't go on Twitter. Where do you put mundane opinions and have people yell at you for most of the afternoon? It's amazing that people can live without that. Nick Alexander, where can people <laughs> find you, buddy? On Twitter, I'm at NickAlexanderF1. I can't believe you've gone through the effort of sticking the F1 at the end. That's a proper player-baller move. The only more player-baller move on Twitter than that is instead of replying to somebody, you quote-tweet them. I've started doing that now because I, I want to be a big deal, and I've noticed the big boys I've just, do that. 
I've just changed my tagline to public figure. I like it. Uh, Matt Trump is at MattPT55 on Twitter. You got it. Come find me and tell me I'm wrong about everything, because frankly, everybody else does. Yep, it's because you're old and you don't know things, or if you do know things, you've forgotten them. Uh, find me at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F1. Keep an eye on my Twitter feed at the moment, especially if you're a fan of Joe Sayward. I followed Joe to his live audience with Joe at the Strand, and we recorded it. And you will have the opportunity to purchase an MP3 of that for the price of a movie rental. The only things that I have removed are the things that would genuinely have ended in a court date. Apart from that, this is really good content. This is Joe in his natural environment. And I know me and Joe started working together. It was a clash of worlds because the people who like what we do maybe thought Joe was a bit serious and a bit curmudgeonly and a bit grumpy. And a lot of Joe's fans just thought I was a bouncy idiot. A wally, in fact, is a term that became popular. Uh, Let's appreciate that Joe Sayward, when he's on Missed Apex in the Shed, is very much being shoehorned into my world uh, and having to deal with me and the way I do things. Listen to Joe in his natural environment where he's holding an audience. It was absolutely fantastic. I recommend you get on board with this uh, and uh, and consider purchasing it. Uh, until our next news show. Oh my God, there's not a Grand Prix next week. I'm completely thrown. Have we not got our quadruple header? Uh, no, it's Germany in two or three weeks' time, Nick. It is the Hockenheim ring in Germany in two weeks' time. There we go. So we're going to have a new show or a tech show or a trumpet's time or something. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Okay, Jeansy, you can now complain about how hot it is. It's so hot, I want to lick my eyeballs just to see if that helps. (laughs) I don't know if it will. You're in a wooden shed. Luckily, I have windows open behind me and in front of me. So actually, I'm not too bad. But we did buy... We we went on Argos online today. Shout out to Argos. We ordered two fans at like 11 o'clock and they turned up in the middle of the race on a Sunday. I mean, seriously. Uh, Nick, you're going to sort us out some uh, some candidates for... Comment of the week. I'm going to go to uh, EMH2212. One of our moderators told the chat room to just tone it down a little bit. And he said, map race control. Chat must increase lap time by 40%. No overtaking. <laughs> Discussion of race silliness. DRS. <laughs> disabled it was getting it was getting very feisty in the chat room which is why i was just saying come on let's just settle down a bit there's a difference between talking through and talking about f1 and being passionate and then there's just inciting flame wars and going down that kind of twitter rabbit hole where you go point for point you must consider my thing refer back to the previous thing i said uh and then people go no i didn't make that point i just inferred it heavily but because i didn't write it down you are not allowed to use that against me etc anyway I didn't want them to go down that path. Oh, okay. Uh, Christopher Fonseca says Neymar rolling on the floor is just a footballing incident. Uh, Bruce Wayne says, I will criticize every driver for behaving like a brat. In this instance, it was Hamilton. And the winner, Dark Falcon 42. It would not be a conspiracy by Ferrari if there was evidence. Comment of the week. Now, I'm no conspiracy theorist. But some conspiracies do turn out to be true. That's a fact. So let's all get our tinfoil hats on. What, like Renault in Singapore? (laughs) 
There's loads of examples, isn't there? Spygate. That's still too soon. (laughs) That is kind of the gold standard, isn't it? I'll I'll never forget. I'll never forget after the Singapore race review where Spanner said no one would ever deliberately crash to cause a safety car, and everyone lost their minds at him on Twitter <laughs> as if a Formula One podcast was unfamiliar with Crashgate. And I think we're just going to have that again today after all of our talk about Kimi in Turn One. Like, uh, guys, sarcasm. Seriously, it's a thing. We employ it. Whenever... Why don't people understand sarcasm? It really drives me nuts. Well, it's interesting because when you when we're stagnant in the numbers, you kind of you kind of have your audience and they get used to what you're doing. Whenever we take a little kick, and fortunately we have been taking you know several kicks over the last few years, you get a little kick. You get people who don't, who aren't quite in the same zone and mindset of what you do and especially with sarcasm you know they go like well actually it, it did it did turn out that he was told to crash deliberately and you go oh my god okay okay right okay fair enough welcome to welcome to the audience let's just draw a line under that and start again normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.